We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm Taylor Henry, Public Affairs Director, and it is my privilege to be talking with Supreme Knight Carl A. Anderson of the Knights of Columbus. Welcome, Mr. Anderson. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be with you. You have a very busy schedule, I know. You travel around the world, and uh, I so much appreciate you taking uh, 20 minutes to talk to me today. And congratulations, by the way, on uh, your earning the uh, 2017 Medal of the Archdiocese. Well, I'm deeply grateful for that, and uh, I'm just uh, very appreciative. Well, sir, we're deeply appreciative for you. You've been such a great supporter, and the Knights of Columbus have been such a great supporter under your leadership uh, for the Archdiocese for the Military Services and chaplains in the military, and for that we are extremely grateful. Uh, In his letter about awarding you the Medal of the Archdiocese, Archbishop Brolio mentioned that the KFC has contributed more than $2.5 million to the AMS since 1998, for which we are extremely grateful. If I could ask you, why does the KFC consider the ministry to Catholics in uniform such a cause worthy of investing so much in? Well, I have to tell you, I don't know if we have enough time in this podcast for me to explain all of that. Uh, We could say, first of all, we have so many members of the Knights of Columbus who are veterans who have served so honorably their country in this way. And, of course, all of us owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the men and women in our military services, the sacrifices they have made uh, throughout the history of our country, and the sacrifices their families and they continue to make today and will make in the future. So the question is, how do we support them? Where does the moral vision, that is the pride of our American military, come from? And where does the moral courage to support that vision come from? Uh, I think anyone who uh, knows a Catholic military chaplain knows where that vision comes from, knows where that courage comes from, And so uh, we're very proud to be associated with the Archdiocese for the Military Services. In addition, I think um, we have to consider what our men and women uh, overseas are confronted with. And they are confronted oftentimes with long tours of duty in areas where they have no chance of seeing a chaplain. And so, to me, that um, maybe a scandal is too hard a word to use, but if it is too hard a word, it's not too hard a word by much. To put men and women in harm's way uh, without the benefit of support of the sacraments, to me, is a very serious thing. And so we want to do as much as we can to support our military and to support our military in a way that allows them to have the support of our military chaplains. Yes, sir. And as you well know, the military is experiencing a chronic shortage of Catholic priests. The KFC has been particularly generous in supporting the co-sponsored seminarian program. 
And as you know, through that program, a growing number of prospective new chaplains are preparing for active duty service. Why is it so important to raise the number of priests on active duty for Catholic men and women in uniform to have better access to a priest? Well, as I was saying, uh, we're putting men and women in harm's way, and they have no possibility, many of them have no possibility of the support and comfort of the sacraments. And so we have to make sure that uh, we have military chaplains. And, you know, our relationship began really in World War I when we put together these uh, recreation and support centers for our troops uh, in Europe and in the United States. And we helped uh, support our chaplains during World War I. And you saw, uh, beginning in World War I, the understanding and appreciation, even from non-Catholics, how our military chaplains, Catholic chaplains, are on the front line because they understood the Catholic soldiers needed sacramental care uh, urgently. So coming out of World War I, uh, we had a tremendous experience with our Catholic chaplains, and the world saw the dedication and sacrifice that was unparalleled by Catholic chaplains. And when you look at the number of Catholic chaplains who have received a Congressional Medal of Honor, uh, and many of them who were killed receiving that, uh, or doing the activities that led to them of being awarded the medal. And, and since World War II, all of the chaplains who've won the Medal of Honor have been Catholics. Well, uh, I think that speaks for itself as to the dedication, uh, the patriotism, and the real love of their flock, right? The good shepherd puts his life on the line for his flock. And you certainly see that with Catholic chaplains. No. So if you have any understanding of the history here, why would you not want to do uh, a lot to preserve and support these great men? Here's a question we get a lot, and I'd like to ask you uh, to get your take on it. Some secularists and some pacifists believe that Catholic priests or Christian ministers in general should not serve in the military because the gospel is all about peace and love and the military is about waging war. Now, how do you respond to that point of view? Well, I think Plato said it best. Only the dead have seen the end of war. So whether we like it or not, um, that kind of violence, will be with us for a long, long time. Now, maybe I have a difference of opinion with our pacifist friends, but uh, as far as your own life is concerned, uh, you can lay that down in one way or the other. But the government has a responsibility to defend its citizens from unjust aggression. And men, and women have a responsibility to defend their families and their neighbors from unjust aggression, and that includes the use of violence, the use of uh, weapons to do that. Um, it is the Catholic tradition that has developed the understanding of just war, uh, what is valid self-defense, 
what is an appropriate use of force. And I think if we're concerned about those issues, uh, we're concerned about the legitimate and not the excessive use of force, then who better to be on the front line than men with a very strong moral compass who can help guide the men and women who have to make these decisions. So I think if you're interested and committed to a moral defense of our country, you want to have these kinds of uh, counselors on the front lines. And so I would say again, uh, we can be proud of, as Americans that for our entire history, our military has performed in a moral and just way. And I believe that that's a result of having a strong moral and spiritual compass. And these men are chaplains. And outside of the Catholic Church, there are women who are chaplains. Help us have that moral vision. And I think it's extremely important. The other part is that the gospel is about love of neighbor. And war gives the appearance of not being about love of neighbor. But it is, in a way, about love of neighbor because, as I said earlier, it is protecting one's neighbor from unjust aggression. And that's the duty that I believe all of us have. And if you look at the Knights of Columbus, our principles are charity, unity, and fraternity, fraternity being understood as brotherhood. And so what does is, what is the man in combat uh, do, or a woman in combat do? They are making a sacrifice out of unity for their comrades and for their country. And they are expressing at a very high level the idea of brotherhood and charity, because they're willing to sacrifice their life for others. And so, you know, the gospel also tells us what greater love has any man than to lay down his life for another. And everyone that enters the uniform of our country has undertaken to make that commitment if called upon to do so. So I think there, in many ways there's a close connection between gospel values and a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to the armed forces, properly understood. Understood. Mr. Anderson, could you please tell us your personal story? How did you become a knight? And how did you become the supreme knight of the Knights of Columbus? Well, I think I have a rather unique experience of becoming a knight. I was working at the time as an assistant, a special assistant to President Reagan, and one of my responsibilities was working with religious organizations, and so I actually uh, set up a meeting one day between the officers of the Knights of Columbus and President Reagan. And as the meeting concluded and I was walking the former uh, Supreme Knight out of the White House, he said, uh, are you a member of the Knights of Columbus? And I said, no, sir, because uh, no counsel in my parish. And he said, well, here's an application form. Would you like to sign up? So he kind of put me on the spot there, and I said, well, of course. And so I, uh, I signed up, and that's how I joined the Knights. Then, uh, how do you become Supreme Knight? Well, uh, the first thing, I guess, is that you are a dedicated Knight of Columbus, and you, you 
do the kinds of things that uh, merit the recognition of your brother Knights. And uh, I was a state leader. We call them state deputies. And then uh, I worked for the Knights and uh, became an officer. And then the board of directors elected me a Supreme Knight in October of 2000. So, so that's my story. Understood. Very interesting story. And which state were, did you serve as? Uh, uh, I was I was state deputy in the District of Columbia, so that was a terrific experience for me because uh, the Knights in the District of Columbia are very diverse. We have many different ethnic uh, communities in D.C., and many are reflected in the Knights of Columbus. So it's a good way to, to kind of see the world uh, in the Catholic Church right here in my own jurisdiction of uh, Washington, D.C. And then to carry that experience forward as Supreme Knight, it was very valuable for me because obviously we're entering in this century uh, a process of globalization that's affecting the church. And if you look throughout the United States, I mean, the, the, the world is in the United States, right? And the Catholic Church, every, virtually every community uh, is in the United States. So we have outreach into Asia. We have Koreans, we have Filipinos, we have Chinese Catholics. We're trying to help Christians in the Middle East. We have Chaldean, we have Maronite, we have Syriac Catholics. We're concerned about Eastern Europe. We have... Ukrainian Rite Catholics. So uh, the world is in the United States, and that gives Catholics in America such a fantastic potential to reach out and to help Catholic communities uh, grapple with the issues that they have, because we're also dealing with those issues. And I think, by and large, the Catholic Church in America is doing a wonderful job. And there's no overstating the contribution that the KFC makes to the Catholic Church worldwide and in America. And again, we say thank you. Uh, let me ask you this. How is your experience serving in the Reagan administration and the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights uh, prepared you to serve as Supreme Knight? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think, uh, first, well, let me talk about the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I think uh, first thing is the heavy emphasis on religious liberty and uh, religious freedom as a civil right. That was very important to much of what we did uh, while I was on the Civil Rights Commission. But we also had that experience of church burning. And uh, one of my... Uh, uh, proposals that the commission accepted was to have a series of regional hearings throughout the country to explore what was causing these. Was it really racism? Was it other factors? And part of that, uh, I had the opportunity really to go into a number of African-American communities, African-American uh, congregations and churches, and just get a very uh, good sense of the vibrant a gospel commitment of so many of these communities. So in that sense, it was a, a, a great learning experience for me to see the diversity and the commitment 
of other Christian communities. Uh, extremely helpful. Uh, and it has now borne fruit, I think, for us in the Bishop's new ad hoc committee on racism, of which I'm, I'm proud to be a consultant to and to be working with Bishop Murray, who I think is, is going to be a wonderful chairman of this committee, uh, to, to work together. And we see in the past year, right, the violence uh, and, and the ongoing uh, controversy regarding uh, whether racial tension in this country as it is exposed in different areas. We've got to do more. We've got to come together as a nation. And uh, I think that uh, the Knights of Columbus and the Catholic Church have a very strong leadership role to play. You know, uh, Knights of Columbus was formed after the Civil War. We had many Civil War veterans. And that's the reason why they wanted the name Knights instead of Sons, because they wanted to recall a, the kind of band of brothers and commitment that they had seen in the military service. But after the Civil War, the big question was, how do we bring the country together again? And there were many individuals who were saying, look, we've got to recover this idea of brotherhood, that this is a nation of brothers, and that kind of bound is what unites the country. So you look at Father McGivney, who's talking about charity, unity, fraternity, charity, unity, brotherhood, as the Catholic contribution to healing, division, and reconciling the country. Remember, Lincoln in his second inaugural didn't say, with charity to some and malice to some, charity for the North, malice to the South. He said, with charity to all and malice toward none. Let us build up the country. And, of course, Father McGivney was the founder of the Knights of Columbus. Right. And so I think Father McGivney, obviously, he made a, a, a fabulous contribution to the history of the Catholic Church, but I think he pointed a way also to reach out into civil society and say, look, these values of charity, unity, brotherhood, these are values for everyone. And those values are values of charity, they're values of unity, they're values of brotherhood, and our fourth principle, patriotism, properly understood. And I say you properly understand patriotism if you qualify it with principles like charity, unity, and fraternity. That's why our patriotic order, our fourth degree, as it's popularly known, when you bring knights together from Canada or Cuba or Mexico and Philippines and Poland and Ukraine, countries that throughout the course of history have had some tensions. You don't see it in the Knights of Columbus. Why? Because people have an authentic understanding of patriotism which says, I have a right to love my country, but my neighbor has a right to love his country. Do you think there's a move afoot to stamp out the free exercise of religion in the military? And if so, what is the best way to fight back and assert the First Amendment right to free exercise? Well, I think this. I think um, we have a situation where some individuals see religion as not a good thing. So, for example, if you look at Karl Marx, 
What did he say? He said, religion, Christianity, is the opium of the people. So if you really think that religion is like abusing narcotics, then of course you don't have a privileged place in society for drug pushers. You try to marginalize them and get them out of positions of influence. Uh, Nietzsche said Christianity is a slave religion. Well, we want a privileged place for people who promote slavery. Sigmund Freud said Christianity was a neurosis. Well, do you want people running around promoting mental illness? So we, people of faith, generally don't think in those categories. But there are people who do. And from their perspective, it's entirely reasonable to say, these people are not adding anything good to society, so why do we want them around? I think the answer is what Pope Francis has talked about. Authentic witness to the faith. Can't argue with those people so much, but let's demonstrate that our faith, our belief, brings value to society. And how does it do that? It brings value to society by acts of charity, by acts of understanding, by acts of brotherhood. And when we do that, we bring real value. Right? All of us were horrified several years ago in Charleston, South Carolina, when that individual came in and murdered the, the people in that church. Right? There could have been riots throughout that city. And what happened? Those African-American Christians stood up and they forgave that man. And so violence did not follow violence. That's the kind of demonstration of the good that people of faith bring to society, and particularly Christians bring to society. And the more we have that, that's our best answer to those individuals who say, you're a negative, not a positive. I feel like I could talk to you all day, Mr. Anderson, but our time is limited, and I just want to get in one more question. Uh, please tell us about the annual Warriors to Lords pilgrimage. When did the KFC start the program and why? And why is it important for our wounded warriors to have access to the healing waters of Lourdes? Well, this is part of the international military pilgrimage that, as I understand, was started by the French military chaplains after the Second World War. And it's brought together military and chaplains from around the world. So every year, about 10,000 soldiers descend on Lourdes for days of prayer together. You have Germans, French, Italian, English, Irish, Many historically have been enemies, but they're together, they're praying together, and it's quite a tremendous uh, inspiration, at least I find it so. So we were had the privilege of beginning to assist the Archdiocese for Military Services, and we decided we would bring some wounded warriors, some veterans uh, who've been severely injured, and I want to tell you that 
is even more inspiring. Uh, these are individuals, men and women, who are confronting really very serious, very serious health challenges. And they do it with faith and with courage. And what's even uh, maybe in a way more inspiring is the young wives who are there with these men, with their husbands. And I'm talking very, very severely uh, handicapped and injured individuals. And these young women are saying they're facing maybe 50 years of this kind of life. And they're saying, I'm staying. Many of them could say, you know what? Didn't sign up for this. I'm getting a divorce. I'm starting a life over. But they're not. And so you see faith in action, courage in action, and it's tremendously inspiring. And the Knights are footing the bill for these wounded warriors to make the trip, correct? Yes, I guess you could put it that way. But it's, uh, I would say it's a pretty awesome exchange of gifts, right? We make it possible for them to come and have the gift of grace, of being Lord, and they give us the gift of their courage and faith and sacrifice. Understood. And if there are any wounded warriors out there listening who would like to make the pilgrimage this year, uh, applications are being taken up until January 15th, 2018. Uh, and for more information, you can go to the Warriors to Lords website. That's www.warriorstolords.com. Or call the Knights of Columbus uh, at 203-752-4270, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, Supreme Knight Carl A. Anderson, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. And once again, congratulations on receiving the uh, Medal of the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Thank you very much. Great to be with you.